This is an auto gyro. It looks a bit like a helicopter, but it isn't. In this month's show, we'll be finding out how they work and taking to the air. And we'll also be meeting a pilot who flew and crashed auto gyros over 40 years ago. Autogyros were invented back in the 1920s and the first successful flight was in 1923. There have been lots of experiments with the autogyro concept over the years and you can see some examples here at the museum. If you're a James Bond fan, the best known autogyro is Little Nelly, which features in the film You Only Live Twice. But before it appeared in the film, Little Nelly was actually here at Middle Wallop for testing by the army. And we'll be meeting the pilot later on in the show. But firstly, Hugh has met up with pilot Clem Clements to have a look at a modern autogyro. So Clem, this is a autogyro, but what is the difference between an autogyro and a helicopter? Well, the fundamental difference here between a helicopter, as you see, is, is we've got an en engine at the back with a propeller on, and we've got the, uh, the rotor, okay? Now, in a helicopter, what happens is the engine turns the rotor directly, direct drive, whereas on this thing, the rotor is always freewheeling, okay? So what we do, we spin her up at the beginning by engaging this thing here, okay? That thing pushes that, and now we have drive to the head. But as soon as we're in flight, we disengage that, and that is freewheeling. But we need to keep the aircraft flowing forward to cause the airflow to carry on through the rotor, right? So it needs the two. This is always in what they call auto-rotation. And a helicopter normally only goes into auto-rotation when it has an engine failure and comes down like a sycamore leaf, you know? So that's the major difference. We have to have some forward speed, whereas a helicopter can hover and can actually sit on there. We can't actually hover in this the wind was say 20, 20 knots or something. So in the air, what is the top speed you can go at? With this machine, it's quite fast. It's about 100 miles an hour. Wow. And, uh, and it can stay at 100 miles an hour for a, for a long time. And they're becoming faster and faster. Uh, but the thing that limits it is basically the tips that the rotors are going. So that is something that's holding back rotor uh, aircraft, the fact that the tips go past or get near the speed of sound but they're getting very clever and they're able to increase the actual speed that these things can travel at. So what are autogyros used for today? Well, they started off, and they still are, a, a sports aircraft. So a lot harder aircraft to fly in the early days. They, they had certain features in those days missing, like the tailplane. Nowadays, since they've added the tailplane and they've become a lot safer, they, they're used for search and rescue. Uh, the German police are actually using them to catching people speeding. Um, and I, I can foresee that the fact that they're going to get used more and more commercially. Okay, Hugh, I could sit here all day and tell you how this works, uh, but it's much better when you're sat in the sea. So mm -hmm. I think the best thing we can do is get you togged up because it gets a bit chilly up there and uh, we're going to have a fly. Alrighty. Let's go.
well. It looks like Hugh has enjoyed his flight. And safely back on the ground, he has met up with Tim Dean, who was one of the autogyro pilots in the Army Trials over 40 years ago. So Tim, what is the difference between this autogyro and the one you flew back in 1962? Well, the key difference, Hugh, is that this aircraft has got two seats. The one that I flew in 1962 only had one. And the problem with that is it had no dual capability. And so you referred to old-fashioned pilot's notes, got into the aeroplane, figured out how it worked and took off. And that was slightly alarming. With this aeroplane, it's got dual controls and a pilot can tell you how it works. With that one, all you had was two sheets of paper, how they thought it worked. And imagine you getting into there. Okay, you've done a bit of flying before. Imagine you getting into there, starting it up, taking off without ever having flown it before. A little bit alarming, but Middle Wallop is a huge big airfield and there was plenty of time to make mistakes. And after about two weeks, we got the hang of it and we learned and it was the most greatest fun to fly. So how did the original trials go? The original trials uh, were the most tremendous fun. If you, if you ever, I mean, you're a young lad, Hugh, and it, I don't know if you, your father's allowed you to ride a motorcycle yet. No. <laughs> no, but it was like flying a motorcycle in the air. It was, it was the most tremendous fun to fly and we really enjoyed it. The trouble is it was a very, very primitive aircraft. I mean, the control panel was a simple little stick with a pedestal in front of you and it had airspeed indicator and not much else on it. It was great fun to fly. But the trials didn't go all that well simply because we wrote off virtually the entire fleet. The original aircraft I was sitting in on the photograph shows me sitting in, a, in an aircraft called Little Nelly, which was used in the James Bond film you only live twice, and I flew that aircraft on quite a few occasions, and it was then modified for you only live twice. It was a wonderful aircraft, but eventually I managed to crash two of them. The first one was actually over there by Danebury Hill, which is that hill you can see in the distance over there. And over there, the engine quit going down, wind fairly quickly. I had just time to turn into wind, flare and land in a newly manured power field, plowed field and the aircraft turned over, beat itself to death and a ploughman ploughing up his tractor gave me a little wave as every time he passed I had to go up to him and say, um, didn't you see me crash over there? He said, all right that sir, I wondered what he'd be doing. But eventually it was discovered the aircraft was too limited to be of any use to the army and so the trial was abandoned. They were all handed back to Wing Commander Wallace and that was the end. But although the 1960s trials were not successful, the Army Air Corps still has links to the autogyro. Warrant Officer Barry Jones holds several autogyro records, including the first autogyro to fly over the Alps and the longest flight over water.
Back at the airfield, Tim and Clem are swapping notes on how the autogyro has changed since the 1960s trials. The only instruments we had was the RPM and the altitude. So, uh, Tim, when was actually the last time you flew on? Well, I have to say, I, I hope I don't look as old as, as uh, I am, but it was 1962, and it took off from over there to 300 yards over there. Is that right? 1962, well, a long time ago. <laughs> well, you're quite lucky because you can actually have dual controls in the back, yeah. and the only difference is you, along with me following you through, will be taken off from the back seat rather than the front. So do you fancy a go? I'd love to. All right, well, let's go and get you togged <laughs> up and let's have a go and see if you can notice the big differences. Well, it looks like Tim and Hugh have both had a great time flying in the autogyro in this month's show. And come and join us next time when Hannah will be taken to the air in an Oster. And Callum will be finding out about World War II technology.